You are flying high with Locked On Eagles, your daily source for the best Philadelphia Eagles news and analysis. I am your co-host, Benjamin Solak. My Eagles work at Bleeding Green Nation. My NFL draft work at NDTScouting.com. You can, as always, follow me on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm back. It's been a week since I've been on the show. I was at a conference uh, for college students, and I was doing a lot of stuff over the holidays, as you can hear. Maybe not in the best of health. It's been very, very chilly uh, in the Northeast over the past few days. But I'm here. I'm back. And this is kind of the... Uh, the Ben Reaction Pod. My usual host, Michael Kist, on Twitter, at NFL, whose work is at Inside the Pylon, Grandstand Sports Network, and Breaking Football. He's not with me today. We've been juggling schedules all week, trying to catch up on all this playoff work. He's not with me today, but given the fact that I've missed the past week, I'm kind of here for a big reactions pod, talking about all sorts of things that have happened over the past few days that I haven't necessarily had the opportunity to talk about. But before we begin, as always, please rate, review, and subscribe on whatever podcast app you listen to. We do great Really appreciate it. Firstly, let's get into the performance of the Eagles against the Dallas Cowboys, the final regular season game. Uh, I would encourage you not to put too much stock in this game just from the jump. You know, the week 17 is not a good benchmark for playoff performance. It simply isn't. No matter how long the starters play, uh, no matter, you know, what occurs, good or bad, the, the players of Philadelphia knew that they were coming in as the number one seed and they were leaving as the number one seed. And of course, they looked to get into a rhythm against the Cowboys, the offense particularly, which had been struggling as of late. But they knew that this wasn't necessarily the uh, uh, such a crucial game. And so you really can't compare this game to how they might perform in the playoffs, in my opinion. Now, that can go bad and that can go worse. Or that can go worse and that can go better. You know what I mean? So it's got it's a double-edged sword there. We'll start obviously with the quarterback position. That's the one on which there's the most focus. Yeah, Foles look really bad. Uh, I did not watch the game live. I was able to get into the film afterwards. Uh, all small 22 takes. Foles did not look good for the second week in a row. And, uh, you know, this was something that I uh, I brought up after the Oakland game. You know, the Eagles escape with the win, and they lock up first seed. Now the Cowboys game is utterly meaningless. And I said, you know, there's there's a real case to be made for sitting the starters. Because if they go out there and they're weak again, against the the Cowboys and they can't get into a rhythm that's now two weeks in a row that they're kind of living with that over their heads you know if you only do that for one week against Oakland you can say oh it was a fluke you know it was um it was just a mistake you know it was an aberrational blip on the radar we'll be back for the playoffs and if you don't start them at all number one you don't run the risk of anybody getting injured which is obviously hugely important but number two you prevent them from doubling down on their poor performance and really getting in their own heads. And Doug Peterson pulls out most of the starters, at least, you know, Nick Foles specifically at the beginning of the second quarter. Now, he, he played a quarter poor football and then he had to get off the field. I don't know if I would have pulled him that quickly uh, because I would have liked to have left him in there, even at the risk of injury, and wait until he got into a rhythm because you really needed him to have a positive note on which to end. And, you know, Foles' numbers indicate that there really was no positive note uh, yeah, 4 for 11, 39 yards, that's 3.5 yards average, as well as the interception, so we, we saw the usual stuff from Foles, uh, you know, d- d- poor awareness is really the best way to put it, you know, it encapsulates both pocket awareness, progression awareness, time to throw awareness, he just doesn't seem to be uh, a natural guy understanding the flow of the offense, how long he's got with his offensive line, of course, he is a backup, so he hasn't had much time with the starters, but still it's frustrating, one of the big 
selling points on Foles was that the offense wouldn't change much with him, but he's having trouble executing the offense. And so you wonder what has to change. And of course, as we know from Doug Peterson's presser, uh, he's going to be looking back into 2013 tape, some of the stuff with which Foles was successful, and he's going to uh, look to incorporate that into the game plan moving forward, which I think is a wonderful idea. If I'm putting on my coach's khakis, my coach's visor, it's, it's got to be one read, half-field stuff. Foles just simply struggles, struggles, struggles with whole field, multiple read progressions. It, it's a great weakness of his, and, and we've been trying to wait, make it easier for him here over the past couple weeks, and nothing's doing. And so you're at the point where this offensive coaching staff is going to be tested. This offensive coaching staff is going to be very tested because they need to generate the Philadelphia Eagles offense with 50% of the space with which they usually do it. They need to work half-field reads. Foles is pretty decent reading the field vertically in the sense that if you give him a, a high-low or a three levels right on one side of the field or up the middle of the field, he can read that pretty well. It's not great, but he can read it pretty well. It's far, far better, though. It far surpasses his ability to horizontal read, to reset his feet, reset his platform, and scan across the field. And so they've got to look to move the pocket around, give him some sprint-out options, give him some rollouts, three-level reads, high-low reads, quick releases. We talk about RPOs. We talk about two separate styles of RPOs, uh, a pre-snap RPO and a post-snap RPO. At least that's how I construct them. I don't know how others may. In a pre-snap RPO, you make the decision to run or pass based off of alignment. You, you make the decision before the ball is even snapped. And so, okay, they've got only six in the box, and I know that we're running read options, so I can keep the sixth defender, so I'm going to hand it off because we've got plus numbers. Or, okay, they've got an overhang defender coming down. They've got seven in the box. Well, that means I know I can hit this bubble screen and have a one-on-one matchup, so I'm going to hit the bubble screen. That, 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 that's a pre-snap RPO. On the post-snap RPO, you're keying one defender. All right, I'm watching that outside linebacker. I'm watching that strong safety, that overhang defender, as we as we call him. And I snap the ball, and I'm going to give the ball. I'm... I'm, I'm looking like I'm handing the football off and I'm watching that defender. And if he reacts to this run action, then I'm going to keep it. I'm going to throw it. And if he backs up a little bit because he's worried about the pass, worried about the play action, then I'm going to run it. I make him wrong always at the post snap. Because of full struggles with anticipation, his struggles with awareness, those post snap RPOs are really what's lacking in Philadelphia's offense, if you ask me. It's the pre-snap RPOs to which they need to turn really, really desperately, in my opinion, and, and really hammer those home. They have to be the heart and soul of the Philadelphia offense, and it's going to start with J.H.I. There was the report that came out from the link. I believe it was on BleedingGreenNation.com that says, listen, uh, Philadelphia, they're getting a Jai ready for a heavier workload. It was originally on ESPN, forgive me. Uh, Eagles getting a Jai ready for a heavier workload. Yeah, that's what it's got to be. I mean, when Corey Clement only got one touch in that game, in the Week 17 game against the Cowboys, it was very clear that they're keeping him healthy for the playoffs. LeGarrette Blunt went out there. He got his, his incentive, which is a great, great, great thing. You know, you really love older player, brought in for a year, probably not going to be here next year, but let's get him the incentive. It's not going to hurt us on the cap in the long run at all. It's like 300 k or something like that. It's insignificant. But it shows to free agents that when we incentivize your deal, we look out for you. And if you're close, we're going to get you there. We're not going to, you know, put you on the bench and try to, you know, miser, screwed some money up in here. No, 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 nothing like that. And then you have Ajay. Ajay is going to have to be the workhorse. He's been here long enough where we should be able to plug him in on 100% of the plays. And I think we've seen that over the past couple of weeks. We've seen him be effective in the screen game. We've seen him stay in for pass protection a little bit more, though. Obviously, that's still not his greatest strength. He, he, 
I mean, he's good at it. He's good at pass protection. He's been a little bit spotty here in Philadelphia. But hopefully, as he learns more and more of the playbook, like I said, he should be at 100%. He should know his reads better. He should be able to get to his spot quicker. They've got to be the driving force of this offense. Best way to help the quarterback, as always, good defense and a good running game. Especially for Foles, you know, something the Eagles offense got away with so often that we know of watching Carson. We got ahead of the sticks so frequently. Or, excuse me, with Carson, we got behind the sticks so frequently. Carson's there on 3rd and 11, 3rd and 12, doing some sort of magical nonsense. He picks up a 3rd down. That masks an issue for Philadelphia, 1st and 2nd down inefficiency. And, and, and Foles can't recover the way that, that Carson can recover like that, right? And so it's very, very important to me that Philadelphia stays in front of the sticks. I would love to see a much higher incidence of 1st down running plays. Doesn't even have to be anything quite complex. You know, and very often Philadelphia will have an RPO called in 1st down, and it'll, it'll, you know move on, it'll, it'll transgress into a pass, which, you know, technically that's having a quasi-run play called on first down, but I would love to see more designated run plays called on first down, because I think that you, you want to get a guy like Nick Foles into third and seven instead of third and 12, and so if that costs you second and seven instead of the occasional first down conversion on first and 10, I'm okay with that. Does that make sense? I think that they've really got to work to stay ahead of the sticks in that regard, so I'd love to see more first down runs from Philadelphia. Remember, the, one of my favorite things about J.H.I. is his success on outside zone. You get him moving outside, he's incredibly explosive, and then he's such a problem at 230, 235 pounds for corners to tackle. The nice thing about outside zone when you're basing an offense off of it is now you've got a lot of horizontal flow. Remember we talk about, about Nick Foles being able to read the field vertically but not horizontally? Well, when you have a lot of outside zone, you get the entire field moving in one direction. You get the entire defense flowing to one side off of outside zone. It makes your horizontal reads easier. Why? Because if you've got breaking play action the opposite way, right, you're already at a big advantage there. Y'all know the plays from that and like PA rollout, that sort of stuff. When you get that hard play action outside zone to one side and you roll a guy out to the other side, Foles has delivered a pretty good ball on the move uh, in his time so far at Philadelphia. It's been pretty solid. Obviously, not great because none of Foles' accuracy is great. It's not consistent, but it's been pretty solid. You get him rolling out, you know, you get him rolling out to his right, you're able to give him that half-field read because he's rolling out one direction, and you get easier horizontal flow for him to diagnose because of that play action. That could really help Philadelphia's offense. So Ajay is my player to watch on offense in the playoffs. He really is. Obviously, with him comes Steve Wisniewski and how much he's healthy, healthy Jason Kelsey, and, and how much he can affect this offensive line. He's had such a stellar season. Those guys are built into that running game package, of course. But J.J. is my player to watch. If he can really rumble and tumble, if Philadelphia can become more of a ground and pound sort of a team, you know, it's a bit of an offensive identity shift. But if they can pull it off, you protect Foles and you don't put as much weight on his shoulders. Really, I think that you'll see Philadelphia turn very heavily to the running game in the divisional round. I think that's their best bet. You know, unless Foles has two stellar weeks of practices, they really feel like they can give him the keys again. They've been fine with being pass-heavy with Foles in over the past three games, and I think that one of the main reasons why is because they kind of knew they'd have to go a little bit more run-heavy in the playoffs, and they didn't want to tip that hand just yet. I, I really do believe that, so I think we'll see a much, much greater commitment to the run game moving forward. All right, let's talk some other Philadelphia Eagles after the Cowboys game. I obviously want to go straight to Cindy Jones, uh, which is very exciting. Up and down sort of play for the second-year rookie. Obviously, Mike and I have been talking about how excited we are to see him. We both spoke at length of his first-round talent, and he flashed that. He absolutely did. Uh, you know, that double move that he got beat on was bad. And obviously, Dak kind of <laughs> threw a pretty crummy pass and bailed him out. We should talk about, we've seen Darby be on a double move. We've seen Jalen Mills beat on a double move. We've seen Rasul Douglas beat on a double move. We've seen Sidney Jones beat on a double move. Either the Eagles have four corners all with the same weakness, which isn't great and also isn't very likely, or... 
clearly Corey Ondlin, the defensive backs coach, and Jim Schwartz are just not putting a high priority on safety and, and, and slow playing double moves. They're allowing their corners to be aggressive and saying, if we give up a big play, we give up a big play. Now, you can debate the veracity, the, the intelligence of that sort of a coaching philosophy, but it's where we are with Philadelphia, right? And, and we, we need to be able to, we, we need to have a response to this on film. And then I've talked a lot about too high coverage. I've talked a lot about how you can allow your, your corners to play aggressive coming down the field by keeping a safety over the top. And, you know, if Philadelphia can do that, if they had better linebacker playing, trust me, we'll get to Danilo, it would be my boy. At the end of the day, Philadelphia corners have to start playing better against double moves, whether it's a coaching focus over the next two weeks, uh, whether they, they just take less gambles overall, whatever it is, this is a problem that, that, that teams are regularly going to use to attack Philadelphia. They, we've seen too much success over the past three weeks now for it not to be used eventually in the divisional round. That being said, you saw from Jones his quickness. You saw from him his ability to move in space. You know, he nice mirroring quickness. He's just good at staying connected through the route, staying connected through the stem of the route specifically, uses the contact window well. The the skills are still there. It's all about experience for him now. I, I do not anticipate him being a factor in the playoffs. I know that's something that's been discussed. Maybe we see those special teams reps from him that we did again. Uh, we, we saw them in the Cowboys game, that is. Uh, but I doubt we see significant corner reps for him. Maybe he's a depth corner. Teams will look to pick on him the second he's on the field. His, his second game of action will be a playoff game as a rookie who came off an Achilles tear at the corner position. Yeah, I'm attacking him on offense. So I don't anticipate him being a big positive factor for Philadelphia. There's a chance he's a big negative one. But hey, he got out there and he played a game in an Eagles uniform. You know, God bless. That's very exciting to see. Uh, let, let's get to it. Let's get to Danelle Ellaby. Ellaby's been a huge move for Philadelphia. He really, really has been. Two tackles for loss over the past two games, I believe it is. He's been able to show his presence in the backfield. Really, he adds a true middle linebacker to that offense, moves Nigel Bradham into his more typical position, moves Michael Kendricks into his more typical position, and most importantly, moves Malcolm Jenkins, not always into his more typical position, but more often now, Jenkins is playing that too high safety, that strong safety position, and less often now will he have to play up as a quasi-linebacker. Now, obviously, he lines up at the line very often, especially when Philadelphia wants to go single high safety, cover three or cover one, and they want Jenkins down there on the tight end. He's great in short zones. He has cornerback level instincts. Like, all that's awesome. You just don't want the liability of Malcolm Jenkins in the run game that Philadelphia's had uh, for so many weeks. And since the Jordan Hicks injury, Danelle Allerby helped solve that problem. Allerby, you know, took a few weeks to get acclimated. Obviously, Joe Walker's been a healthy scratch for a while now. He maybe was going to be the answer, but he wasn't. Allerby was brought in. The thought was, okay, maybe he's a depth piece. Maybe he's a guy that, you know, we're just kind of making sure that we have somebody in case somebody goes down in-game with injury. But Allerby is now cemented as the starter. Uh, it's meant that as a guy who's doing wonders for Philadelphia's defensive scheme, giving them the flexibility that they lacked. And so, big ups to Danelle Allerby. Let's talk wide receivers. It was good to see Sean Gibson catch a couple passes. Obviously, I think Marcus Johnson is very exciting. I'll tell you something. I was asked, uh, Jonathan Valencia, great guy, uh, editor of Breaking Football. He asked me, you know, who do you think Philadelphia's most coveted free agent target is going to be? And I think he was asking on the 31 other teams, but I think Philadelphia's most coveted free agent, the guy they most want to get is Trey Burton. I really do. And the reason I say that is this. Marcus Johnson and Mac Hollins, are going to fight out for wide receiver three, wide receiver four in this next offseason. Let's say neither of them pull out wide receiver three. Let's say they're both just kind of wide receiver four sort of guys, you know, which they're both young. They're both, they're both aren't very heralded. That kind of makes sense. You know, with Trey Burton still on the roster, I think a pass-catching core of, of Aguilar, Jeffrey, Ertz, Burton, 
Hollins, and Marcus Johnson, assuming that Torrey Smith is leaving because, you know, his contract makes it easy for Philadelphia to save some money by cutting him. That pass catching core, those six names, is is NFL level strong. If you keep Burton and Ertz, that's one of the best pass catching duos in the NFL, if not the best. And then Aguilar, Jeffrey, and then if you get one of of Hollins or Marcus Johnson to give you solid production on a game-to-game basis, you know, it might not be the same guy for the entire season. You've got a perfectly fine wide receiver core, in my opinion, and that'll help Philadelphia because that'll lessen an offseason need. So I really think they're going to look to keep Trey Burton. But it was fun to see. Obviously, Hollins had a drop, and he's been so consistent all year, so I'm okay with that. And then Marcus Johnson looked pretty good out there working with Nate Sudfeld, huh? That was fun stuff. And let's talk about Nate Sudfeld. I'll tell you something right now. If you think that Nate Sudfeld should start over Nick Foles in the playoffs, you're kind of silly. Uh, you know, that, you know it's, a, it's, a, it's a fine opinion to have, but I want the guy with experience out there in a playoff game. Guys, I do not want Nate Sudfeld's second NFL game ever to be a playoff game. That's a recipe for disaster, uh, and I ain't about it. You know, I'll, I'll take the guy out there who has experience, who, when he makes mistakes, Nick Foles will be able to keep his head on his shoulders, come back out, and potentially, you know, put together a good drive. I know faith in Foles is very low right now. I know Foles hasn't looked very good right now, but this is a guy who has NFL fringe starter talent. He's having trouble executing the offense, but he has the experience necessary to, to play a 60-minute game. Sudfeld, you put him out there, he takes two sacks, he throws the pick, he's done for the game. He doesn't have the bounce-back experience yet. He simply doesn't. He's too young. He's too raw. So, Foles is the starter, but Sudfeld looked very good. He was 19 for 23, I believe it was, on the day against Dallas. Yeah, yeah, 19 for 23, 134 yards, so not a lot there. And then, obviously, he had that big run, which was a lot of fun. He had a real good ball to Johnson. Uh, he looked good throwing it on the move, you know, just kind of out there freelancing a little bit you know he was he showed nothing beyond really execution of the offense besides you know one or two throws that were pretty impressive they're moving on the run kind of working with the guys that he's worked with on the second and the third team all year but it was fun to see that from Sudfeld you know uh, Studfeld excuse me Studfeld Uh, it was fun to see it he is a guy that Philadelphia will probably look to retain uh, to keep for the next couple years obviously you know he's got a good relationship with Carson Wentz as we've seen you know Foles might be a guy who's leaving at the end of this season, if if teams feel it's necessary to trade for him, if he wants to go walk somewhere else and compete for a starting job, then he might be gone. And then Sudfeld will be the only guy with experience here in this system. So Sudfeld will stick around. But I'm telling you right now, you know he's not uh, he's not the starter for the playoff games. And I know that there was, you know, some rumors about uh, Doug Peterson alluding to a short leash for Nick Foles during his press conference. I didn't really read it that way. I heard more so, you know, the text he sent to Shafter after the game. Nick Foles is my guy, period. End of story. So, Nick Foles is your starter, but fun to see Sudfeld get some reps and look pretty decent out there while he did it. So, finally, let's touch on just some of the last news. Brian Dawkins is a Hall of Fame finalist uh, the class of 2018. Obviously, a snub in 2017. To me, Dawkins, uh, he's... This is a no-brainer, and obviously I'm an Eagle fan. I'm more than a little biased. Dawkins is my favorite player of all time. But the to me, the resume is better than I'd read. It's better than Troy Polamalu. Maybe the talent wasn't, but Pro Football or excuse, the the Hall of Fame is about resumes. It's not about you know judging talent off a of film. Uh, Dawkins is an incredible player. He deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Next up, the NFL coaching rumors. John D. Filippo has uh, interviews. The quarterbacks coach for Philadelphia from the Arizona Cardinals and from the Chicago Bears. I'm hearing that the Chicago Bears has a lot of heat. Uh, they like him in the building. Uh, they're really excited about what he could bring to Trubisky. DeFilippo is noted for his ability to work with younger quarterbacks. I wrote a big piece on DeFilippo. I believe in Green Nation. If you haven't seen it, you should go check it out. Uh, the piece, you know, breaking down who DeFilippo was. Uh, who DeFilippo is, I should say. He's not gone yet. And... Uh, what makes him such a special coach? What makes him the potential next young offensive mind, a la McVay, a la Kyle Shanahan? 
to go out there and really rejuvenate a, a franchise. I really like his fit in Chicago, and I think that it's very likely he ends up there in a head coaching capacity. That's the most likely of all the Eagles coaches leaving that I see so far. Beyond that, uh, Jim Schwartz interviews with the Arizona Cardinals as well. They're going to interview him when they're here interviewing Flip. And then also interview with the Giants. Now, I've heard the Giants has some rumblings of some seriousness. I personally don't buy it. I don't think the Giants are looking. I don't think Dave Gettleman is looking for a defensive-minded coach. I think that they recognize that they either they have two paths right now, the Giant organization. One, try to win another one with Eli Manning. Or two, bring in a young guy. Uh, to replace Eli Manning and, and start the rebuild. Either way, it's offensive-centric, in my opinion. That defense desperately needs pieces. It has overrated pieces. Obviously, has the issues at corner, you know, the confusion with Eli Apple. I think you bring a defensive coach in there. He's got so much work to do to steady that defense. He can't devote enough time to the offense, which really is what needs help there, in my opinion. Now, maybe you bring in Jim Schwartz if you get the best offensive coordinator on the market. I don't know who that would be, but I don't think that... that uh, the Giants will go for a defensive-minded guy unless it's Steve Wilkes. That's the defense coordinator out of Carolina with whom Dave Gettleman worked. I think if they do go defense, it would be Wilkes before it would be Schwartz. Those are the rumblings I've heard so far. Nothing so far for Frank Reich, the offensive coordinator for Philadelphia. Philadelphia's goal, in my opinion, for this coaching carousel should be to keep two of the three between Schwartz, Reich, and DeFilippo. If that means Reich moves on and DeFilippo becomes quarterback or offensive coordinator, wonderful. You know, if... Uh, Flip leaves. I don't know who becomes quarterback's coach. I'm not that familiar with the coaching tree. I'm afraid to know who's next in line for a QB coach position. But hopefully somebody with whom Wentz is familiar. Uh, Schwartz leaves. I like Chris Wilson, the defensive line coach, to move up. Ken Flajole, the linebacker's coach for Philadelphia, also a great guy as well. Listen to me. Uh, a lot of stuff moving around there in, in Cincinnati, which... Uh, Marvin Lewis, unbelievable. But if Paul Gunther, defensive coordinator for the Bengals, somehow becomes available... I think that you fire Schwartz to bring in Gunther. I think Gunther has been a fantastic defensive coordinator. Uh, and so he's a guy that I have a big star next to, my, next to his name. If he becomes available, I think Philadelphia would be very okay with Schwartz leaving and, and attempting to bring Gunther in. Of course, Gunther may get head coaching talk. So, you know, we'll see how available he is. But I like Wilson and Flajoli, uh, who I believe has defense coordinating experience. Ken Flajoli does uh, as replacements. Wilson's kind of my guy. I think that they really like him there in that locker room. The Eagles defense obviously predicated on front four pressure. It's all about that 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 defensive line and those rotations. So Wilson seems the intuitive fit. I don't like Corey Allen for it. Defensive backs coach. Eagles defensive backs have been struggling. Corey Allen's never been more than a defensive backs coach. And again, this defense is not predicated on its back end coverage. It's predicated on its front end pressure. So that's the coaching carousel there for Philadelphia. And that's going to do it for me on everything that Ben missed episode of Locked on Eagles. I hope you enjoyed listening to me just kind of catch up on everything that went down. Of course, as always, rate, review, and subscribe on whatever app you listen to your podcast. We only take five-star ratings, of course. Uh, we've had now two one-star ratings from uh, spurless Cowboys fans. And so if you want to go uh, even those odds and tip the scales back in our favor, please go leave us a five-star review. We do appreciate all your feedback. Always hit Mike and I up on Twitter. I'm Benjamin Solak, at Benjamin Solak. Mike is at Michael Kist NFL. As always, keep it locked on here. Unlocked on Eagles. Fly, Eagles, fly.